If you've ever had the opportunity to go to a funeral for an older Christian, you've probably heard the passage read from 2 Timothy 3. This is Paul's last writing. He's in prison. He's getting ready to recognize that he is going to be put to death for his faith. He writes to Timothy, his young protege, and this is one of the last writings we have from Paul. He says this, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. For I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. But not only to me, but also to all of you, who have longed for his appearing. Now, as I said earlier, Paul loves to use sporting analogies. And it's not just Paul. Uh, the early writings, the Greek writings, the Roman writings of that day use sports analogies about life and about the things of life. And they use the sports analogy that was closest to them. In their day, the biggest sporting event that they had was the Olympic Games. And so in Roman literature and Greek literature, many writers referenced running in the Olympic Games. And it wasn't just the Olympic Games. They had annual games like we talked about when we were in Corinth and uh, looking at Corinthians, talking about uh, what it means to run and what that actually means for us. Today it'd be a lot like us using football or baseball or soccer or basketball as an analogy for how we do life. There's at least seven references in the New Testament where Paul compares his life or the life that the Christian has to running a race. Now, I used it in the passage I read earlier from 1 Corinthians. But what does he mean here in this passage in 2 Timothy when he says, I have finished the race? Now, we know he's not talking about passing away. He's not talking about dying because he, before he mentions finishing the race, he talks about uh, the time for my departure is at hand. So what does he mean when he says finishing the race? Well, we know he's not talking about uh, a path to salvation. He's not talking about running a race to earn your way to heaven or, or running a race that somehow gains you salvation because Paul, in all of his writings, tells us that we do not earn our salvation. There is nothing in your works that can make you a Christian or can make you saved. Paul is very clear to say that we are saved by faith in Christ alone, not of our works. So he's not talking about a pathway to somehow being saved. So what does he mean that I finished the race? Well, I've told you before that probably the best way to interpret the Bible is to use the Bible. If you want to find out what the Bible means, use the Bible to interpret the Bible. So I want us to look at Paul's own words as it relates to running this race. And this is what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all of this or have already been made perfect, but I press on. And the word press on there in Philippians is a racing word. It is a picture of a runner straining towards the finish line. It's a runner that is coming towards the, the rope or to the tape and he is stretching out. He says, I press on. I give it everything I have in this race to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. So what does he mean by running this race, finishing this race? He is saying that the Christian life is a pursuit or a race of becoming who Christ saved us to be. What he's trying to help us to understand is that he is running to pursue, to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me. 
That there is a reason, there is a purpose that you have been saved. Not just for eternity, not just to overcome sin, but God has a plan for your life specifically. God has gifted you specifically for the life that he has called you to. And so what he is saying is this race is our ability or our goal of trying to achieve and find and discover and live out why it is that God saved me. To lay hold of it. What is God's purpose for my life? Those ideas that I am called to love others and to serve others and to love Jesus and to minister. Those are what the race encapsulates. And so in Philippians, it's interesting. Here he says, I have not gotten there yet. I'm still running with everything that I have. I'm giving it my all. And then a few years later, he tells Timothy, I've finished the race. I've run. I've completed it. I didn't give up. What he's saying is, I fulfilled my purpose. That as I am crossing the finish line of this race, I know that not only did I lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me, but I completed the task that he put on my heart. Now the reason I bring all of this up and want to talk about race is because the writer of Hebrews, here in Hebrews chapter 12, is going to use the same language. He's going to use the same type of analogy of running the race. Matter of fact, many people believe because in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, he talks about running the race, that maybe Paul wrote Hebrews. That's one of the reasons they give for saying that Paul wrote Hebrews. I don't think that that is enough evidence to say that Paul wrote Hebrews because many writers use this analogy or this idea of running the race. But before we talk about what it says in Hebrews 12 with running the race, I wanted you to understand that the same metaphor that's used by Paul is used here in Hebrews. That we need to understand before we even start reading that running the race, your race, is laying hold of why Jesus saved you. Now Hebrews chapter 12, you got your Bibles, you can turn. We're going to start uh, moving into Hebrews chapter 12. And you need to understand that I told you when we moved into chapter 10, that chapter 10, uh, 11, and 12 move into application. So all that we've been studying in this last 40 messages as we've walked through the book of Hebrews for over a year, as we've talked about the warnings, we've talked about the theology, we've talked about the lessons that we can learn, the biblical truths that are there. Now he transfers in 11 and 12 to giving us practical everyday application. How do we live out those things that we've been talking about? How do we actually put those things into practice? And chapters 11 and 12 are intrinsically linked, uh, not just because chapter 12 starts with that big therefore, they're linked because they all fit together as an application force. If you want to think of it in this terms, chapter 11 is the pregame speech before the race. Chapter 12 is the plans for running the race. It's as if a coach has come in, and remember when we were reading chapter 11, it was all about the heroes of the faith. He's saying, look, look at what all these people did. Look at all that God accomplished through these people that are just like you. And it's, it's an encouragement for us to, to be who God's called us to be. And then he jumps into chapter 12, and he's going to give us a plan for how you and I can run the race that God has called us to. So let's look at what he says. Therefore, tying it back to chapter 11, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, he's talking about all those people he just mentioned in Hebrews 11. 
Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. For let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinful man so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. See, what he is wanting us to understand, what he is wanting us to recognize is that this is a race that you and I are called to. The key in, in this passage is found there at the end of chapter 1. He says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So he's not speaking in generalities. He is not saying that we need to run a race, as in a general race. What he is saying specifically is that you and I are called to run a race that God, from the foundations of the earth, before you were ever born, ordained for you to run. You have a race to run that only you can run. A purpose to be fulfilled in God's word that only you can fulfill. Now our purposes and our plans may intersect and they may cross, but you alone can run the race that God has for you. It's a personal race. It's not a general race. It is a race that God has gifted and called you to be a part of. It is your spiritual journey. And if the study of Hebrews has taught us anything, it's taught us, especially even last week, that living the life of a Christian, standing up for your values, doing the right thing, is very difficult, especially in a hostile culture, especially in a culture that stands against the things that we believe. And so the writer of Hebrews knows that if God has called you to run this race, if God has a purpose and a plan specifically for your life, and you are called to run that race that is a part of that plan, he knows it's going to be tough. He knows you're going to struggle. He knows you are going to have difficulties. There are going to be times that you're going to want to quit. There are going to be times that you're going to want to get out, give up, sit down, walk away. And so what he does here at the start of chapter 12 is he gives us some encouragement on how we can run our race. How you can do the most and the best with what God's given you to follow the path and the purpose that God has for your life. And so we're going to look at some of those hints, at some of those warnings. And I want us to focus on that encouragement this morning. So how we can run our race that God's called us to. Well, the first thing that you learn as you read through here is that the Christian race is a marathon, not a sprint. And we know that because the word he uses for race in this passage is different than the one Paul uses for race. He uses the word agon here for race. Agon is where we get the English word agony to mean pain. Now, I don't know about you, when you think about running a race in pain, you don't think about a sprint, right? Now, right now, if I had to run a sprint, I'd probably get in pain. But, but normally, when you think about being in, in pain and agony, you think about a long race. And so what he's trying to tell us is this Christian race that God has called you to is a marathon. It is a long race. But yet the problem is in churches today, we have many hundred yard Christians. So many Christians think the Christian life is, is just a sprint. And so we move from sprint to sprint to sprint. We come to church on Sunday. I've heard somebody say that Christians are the best starters and the worst finishers. 
Because we come to church or we go to a spiritual event, we go to a revival, we, we go to a Bible conference and God speaks to our heart and He encourages us and He tells us, get in the race. And so we run out of the blocks like it's a sprint. And then by Monday or Tuesday, we've given up or we've quit or we've just thought we did what we were supposed to do and we wait for the next sprint to happen. See what the writer of Hebrews wants you to understand, the Christian race that you are called to is a long-term marathon. In so many people's Christian lives, the reason people are discouraged in the church, the reason so many Christians are discouraged is because they run these 100-yard sprints or 200-yard sprints and they quit or they give up. And so then they start over again on Monday and they run the same 100-yard sprint. And by doing that, you never get anywhere. So your life, instead of looking back and saying, I've run the race, which is a marathon, you say, no, I've run a bunch of little races that had a lot of starts and a lot of stops. That's why people, when they talk about it, if you wanted to graph out your Christian life, people say, well, my life looks like this. This is how my life looks. That's not the way the Bible says that the Christian life is supposed to look. Somehow we've convinced ourselves because we sprint and then we quit. And we sprint and we stumble and we sprint. The Christian life is a slow, uphill move, getting to know God. There may be little dips. There may be little valleys. There may be little struggles. But it's always moving closer to God. It's a long-term marathon. And it's about being prepared for the long term. We also know because he says, run the race with endurance. That word endurance in the Greek is hupomone, which means perseverance. You don't need endurance. You don't need perseverance for a sprint. You need it for a marathon. So what is the lesson that he's trying to tell us here? Well, the lesson for many of us is it's time for us to get in the race. It's time for you to get off the sidelines. It's time for you to thinking of, stop thinking of your Christian walk as being a Sunday event and recognize that it's an everyday journey and relationship with God following His path and His purpose for your life. Get in the race. It's like so many in the church are, are sitting in the pew and we're waiting for somebody to, to announce, ready, get set, go. Or, or somebody's going to come and tap you on the shoulder and go, okay, now it's your turn. That's not the way it works. The reality is the moment you accepted Jesus Christ, the moment the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you, your race started. And so some of you have been a part of the race now for 30 and 40 or 50 years, but you haven't run. You're sitting on the sidelines waiting for everybody else to do what God has called you to do. And the reality of it is that God has given you specific gifts and talents. That's biblical. God has given you passions. God has given you things in your life to serve Him, to be more profitable in that race. Yet the statistics tell us in the average church, 10% of the people do 90% of the ministry. So what that seems to indicate is we in the church today have a lot of people sitting on the sidelines. And what the writer of Hebrews wants you to start with this morning is to know it's time for you to get in the race. There are no timeouts. There is no retirement in the kingdom of God. Stop sitting around and letting other people do what you've been gifted and called to do. So many people are sitting, never joining the race that God's called them to. Let me tell you what that looks like in a local church. 
God in the last couple of months and years has been blessing this church. We've been growing. We, so many new faces, so many new people. But with new people and new faces come new ministry opportunities. There are so many things that we need to do as a body of Christ to serve and to minister. We need new small groups. All of our small groups are full. We need new small groups. We need small groups that can meet in homes. We need small groups that can meet during the middle of the week. But we can only do with those who are called to lead those small groups. We can only do those things as people step up and say, this is my race, I want to serve. We want to do mission projects for the whole church, not just individual groups. We have ministry areas in different age groups. And there are those of you that are sitting in the pew that have gifts to give, that have a passion for those things, and maybe you even know that you're called to do it, you just haven't stepped up because you're waiting for somebody to ring the bell and say the race has started. Well, guess what I'm doing this morning? Ready, set, go. See, don't wait for somebody to come and say, listen, here's a need, maybe you can fill it. You know what your gift is. You know where the need is. What I want is some people that are willing to come and say, Pastor, this is a need in the church. I am gifted in that area. This is my race. Let me go. Let me do it. I'll take it and run with it, and I will do all that I can to see that it succeeds because that's where I am called to. See, this idea reminds me of the young man that had an encounter with Jesus in Luke chapter 9. You may remember the story. The man is passionate. He comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I will follow you anywhere you want me to go. Jesus turns around and looks at him and says, Foxes have holes and birds in the air have a nest, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Know what he was saying? The guy was saying, listen, I want to run the race. And Jesus said, it's going to cost you something. And the guy says, okay, never mind. See, that's what we do in the church. Because sprints are easy. We can run a quick sprint and say, listen, I'm doing what God called me to do. We can pat ourselves on the back and then we can come back to church on Sunday and say, okay, I'm going to run that same sprint again. But running that same sprint is like running on a treadmill week after week after week. You don't go anywhere. And while it may help you, it doesn't help the body. See, some of you this morning, it's time for you to get in the race. It's a marathon. Jump in. The second thing he tells us here is that if we're going to run the race that God calls us to, there are some things in our life that we have to get rid of. Some things in our life that we're going to have to drop that are slowing us down. And he gives us two examples there in verse 2. He says, we need to throw off everything that hinders us. The word for hindrance in that passage is the Greek word oikos, which is weight. He said, you need to throw off the things that are weighing you down. He said, as you run this marathon, as you run this Christian race, there are things that we bring into our lives that instead of helping us do what God's called us to do, it weighs us down. It distracts us. It takes our time and our energy and our effort away from doing what God's called us to do. And he doesn't say those things are bad things because they're not bad things. They're just the wrong things. They're things that you have allowed in your life to press in on you and keep you from running the race that God is calling you to. To keep you distracted from doing all the things that God wants for your life. It might be a relationship. It might be a hobby. It might be a job. It might be something else, a behavior that you brought into your life. And you see what happens is we rationalize that carrying those things is okay when you run a sprint. 
Because you can carry a lot of stuff in a sprint. But when it comes to a marathon, those things have to go. Because you don't have the effort and the energy to carry them for the long term. And so what the writer of Hebrews is saying is there are many things in your life, even good things, that are distracting you and keeping you from being who God has called you to be. I love the, the movies and the books that I read about the military and uh, these soldiers when they go on these long hikes and they would tell them, you need to get everything that you need for you know, the, the end of the hike, everything you need for the mission. And you, every one of those you read, whether it's Vietnam or Korea or World War II or World War I or even the Civil War, guys would load up their packs. But then as they started walking, as they started hiking into the jungle, they would drop things. See, at the start of the journey, they thought, this is important. I'm going to need this. This is a big deal in my life. But as they began to learn that they could only carry so much, some of the things they had to drop. And for some of you in your life, you are holding on to something that is weighing you down in the kingdom of God. You say, well, what is that, Pastor? Well, I can tell you how you can find out. Ask the Holy Spirit. Just ask, Holy Spirit, what is there in my life that's weighing me down that I need to drop if I'm ever going to run this marathon? If I'm ever going to be who you've called me to be? If I'm ever going to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me? You see, the reality is we know what those things are. I don't have to tell you, they're in your heart right now because we've dropped them before. Because we recognized before, this thing is causing me to move away from God instead of moving toward God. This thing is weighing me down. This thing is distracting me. This thing is keeping me from being who God called me to be. So we dropped it. But what happened is, since we've just been running a sprint and not running a marathon, we drop it and then we come back later in our Christian life and we pick it back up. We say, well, it wasn't that bad. I can hold it. I can carry it. And what the writer is wanting us to know is that if you're going to run the life that Jesus calls you to run, you have got to get rid of those things that are weighing you down. And the second thing he says is we need to get rid of the sin that so easily entangles. Now I know there's a school of thought in a lot of churches that don't like to talk about sin. It's a whole movement called the free grace movement that they say, listen, in church, we're Christians, we're redeemed, we're forgiven. We don't need to talk about sin all the time. That just gets people depressed and people won't come to church if all you ever talk about sin. Well, guess what the Bible teaches? The Bible teaches that even though we are redeemed, yes, you are forgiven from sin. You have the ability to overcome sin. But Paul says that as long as we live in this world, in this flesh, sin will be a battle. And it'll be a struggle. Sin is not something you can make friends with and expect to run the race that God's called you to, especially habitual sin. Habitual sin is that sin that we justify and excuse that we keep going back to and failing and going back to and failing. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is if long as we keep that sin in our life, no matter what other weight we drop, that sin will become like a rope around our ankle and trip us up and keep us from getting to where God is calling us to go. It's a battle. Not just repenting of that sin, but removing that sin from your life. Removing that struggle. Trying to run the Christian life that God has called you to with sin, especially lifestyle sin in your life, is like an athlete who gets injured but never takes the time to get healed and to get well before they get back in the game. 
See, you may, can, you may can live with that sin for a sprint and think, oh, it doesn't hurt me. We rationalize, right? It doesn't hurt. I'm still coming to church. I'm still hearing from God. I'm still doing what I need to do. I can do that sin and God's going to forgive me and God has forgiven me so I can do that. And it's not going to hinder my race. Listen, in a sprint, maybe you can get away with it. But as long as an athlete is injured and doesn't take care of it, eventually it's going to cost them. And what happens when we play with sin, as we move in our Christian life, as we grow, there is going to come a place where that sin is going to become more than just a little deal. Struggle and try to remove that sin from your life. You're still going to struggle. Because we live in a messed up and fallen world. And we still have our old nature in us that tells us it's time to take a break. You're the only one doing it. Nobody else is doing it. Everybody else is sitting on the sidelines and you're the only one running. So why don't you just quit? Nobody does it the way you do it. And so all of these things are going to come into our life. So what the writer says is I'm going to give you some encouragement that when you're on the verge of quitting, when you're on the verge of not seeing where you're going and not understanding why you're headed that way, that can motivate you to keep going. And the key to that is understanding that the fuel that powers our ability to run by faith is faith. It's no secret. He just talked about it for a whole chapter. He says that faith is what gives us the energy and the motivation to keep going when we want to quit. The Bible says in 1 John 5, 4, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. Our faith he tells us there's a couple of areas of faith that will always keep us motivated if you're struggling this morning if you if you're trying you've laid that out and you're trying to run the race and and you're still struggling this morning he says there's three things that can motivate you the first thing he says is keep your eyes and your faith on Jesus Christ he says when you get tired look to Jesus he says he is the author. He's the one who created it. And he is the finisher. That means he is the perfecter. He is the pioneer. There is nothing that you are going to face in your life that Jesus didn't face and overcame. There is no struggle that you are going to face that Jesus hasn't been there. No pain, no suffering that you're going to deal with that Jesus hasn't felt. He said when you feel like quitting, when you feel like giving up, look to Jesus. Because you understand that that fuel for our motivation to do what God is calling us to do is wrapped around our relationship to Jesus Christ. See, the more you know Jesus, the more you have a personal, intimate walk with Him and talk with Him and listen to Him, the more you are motivated to do what He says, not only are you called to do, but He whispers in our ear, you can do it. For I can do all things, not in my own strength, not in my own power, not because the preacher preached a sermon. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You see, my ability to run is my ability to keep my eyes focused on Jesus. Isaiah 40, 29 says, He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even though youth grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall, those whose hope is in the Lord will always renew their strength. Let me tell you this morning, if you're ready to quit, if you're tired, if you're ready to walk out of the race or sit down or give up, Jesus Christ can give you the strength to keep going. 
He said, when you're struggling, always look to Jesus. The second thing that gives us faith is faith in the word of God. Faith in this book as our guidepost. Psalms 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light into my path. See, if we are called to run a race, then we better know where we're supposed to go. How do you know where you're supposed to go? The map. The GPS. You see, this book will tell you where God's calling you to go, how to get there, what to avoid, and what he's wanting you to do when you get there. You've got to get in the Word. You've got to begin to make this a part of your everyday life. You can't expect to run the race if this is not your source of authority. You know what happens if the Bible is not our source of authority? We run around aimlessly. Which that's what's happening in churches today. So many churches are saying, well, we're going to pick and choose what we like in this book and we're going to take this part out. We're only going to look at this part. We're only going to look at that part. Where are they going? They don't know. Christians are doing the same thing to rationalize their behavior. They're saying, well, I don't believe all of this. This isn't relatable to me today. The moment you begin to do that, you wander off the path that God's called you to be. Because you don't know where you're going. Because what happens is we start trusting our own thoughts and our own understanding. Well, I think I can go this way. Or I think I should do this. Or I think this is the way that we're supposed to go. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. And he will what? Direct your path. Some of you this morning saying, Pastor, I hear you talking about purpose for my life. I hear you talking about what I'm supposed to do and that I've been gifted. And I, but where do I go? How do I dive in? You find God's will and God's word. Dive into it. Discover how it can become a path for you. He says our motivation, our fuel is our faith in Jesus Christ, our faith in the word of God. And then the last thing he says is our motivation is our faith in the church. It's our faith in our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why he starts the passage by saying, since you are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Please hear me. You cannot run the race that God's called you to run on your own. You can't. You need the Holy Spirit first, but you also need brothers and sisters in Christ to help you, to lift you up, to strengthen you, to encourage you. And I know there's a big move today where people say, well, I love Jesus, I just don't love the church. Well, it's impossible. You can't love Jesus if you don't love the church because the Bible says Jesus' first love is the church. And if you love Jesus, then you want to love the things that Jesus loved. And he loves the church. And there is nothing in the Bible that says anywhere that you can grow the way God's called you to grow as a Christian apart from the church. Why? Because God's gift to Christians. When he left, he said, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. He told the disciples, it's going to come. It's going to be like me inside of you to guide and direct you. But that's not all I'm leaving you. I am leaving you the church to help you do what I'm calling you to do. We need one another. We lift each other up. That's why being a part of the local church is so important. Being a part of a body of Christ, brothers and sisters. Listen, when I am tired, when I am discouraged, when I want to give up, when I don't know what God is trying to do in my life, I can come in here on Sunday. Even a Sunday when nobody's here. 
when it's snowing outside and everybody stayed home and even on those Sundays when I had to preach to a camera during COVID I could come in here discouraged and know just by the presence of other people that I am not alone I may be running my race and they may be running their race but we are running the same direction and I can come in here and know that there's some of you that are running ahead of me you've already been where I am and there's some of you that are coming behind me that are watching my footsteps saying that's where I want to run and then there's a whole bunch of you that are running beside me so that when I stumble you can reach over and pick me up so that when I want to quit I am encouraged by seeing you worship that's why what we do in here is so important listen this morning I promise you there is somebody in this room that was watching you worship and they took away encouragement from just being with you worshiping that's why it's so important what we do so important that we don't miss so important that we're here being a part of the church but I'm not just encouraged by the body of Christ that's here I'm encouraged by the body of Christ that went before me that's that great cloud of witnesses you see on Monday and Tuesday the worst day for pastors is a Sunday night and Monday okay if you ever want to pray for your pastor the best time to pray for me is Sunday night and Monday because I, I walk out and it doesn't matter if every one of you in this room says that was the best sermon I ever heard in the world you are better than Billy Graham and I don't mind you saying that but you if you said that to me it doesn't matter how much you say I loved it or I got so much on Sunday night and Monday I am attacked by the enemy of everything that I wish I would have said or I could have said better or I wanted to say or how much I wanted this to come out and so I am struggling, but it's in those moments that the great cloud of witnesses begins to whisper in my ear that all of those people in Hebrews chapter 11, Noah, who spent 120 years and never saw a raindrop, says, don't give up, pastor. Abraham, who left everything that he knew and moved to a country, took everything, moved to a country he knew nothing about, says, listen, God's got a plan. Don't stop running. Moses, who was old when God called him back, says, listen, you're never too old to see what I have planned. Don't give up on God. He has a plan. There are people that I've read about, like the Ecuadorian missionary, Jim Elliott, who was killed in 1952 for sharing his faith, who said, he is no fool who gives up that which he can never keep to gain that which he can never lose. There's that Sunday school teacher I had when I was struggling with whether or not I was called to ministry who looked me in the eye and said, Rusty, to whom much is given, much shall be required. There's that first deacon in the church I served in that came to me and when I was discouraged and when I was down and said, Rusty, you need to understand there is nothing you can accomplish with God as long as you don't care who gets the credit. See, those are the whispers in my ear. That is the great cloud of witness that encourages me, that motivates me. And you have the same thing. You just have to listen. And the neat thing about it, and I'm almost done, hang with me. The neat thing about it is the reason he mentions this great cloud of witness is to help us recognize that not only is the Christian race a marathon, but it's also a relay. Because you see, all of those who have gone before us, who have run this race, 
who have had the same struggles you have, who have been there and done that and accomplished it, like Paul who can say, I finished the race. They come to you and I and they hand it off and say, now it's your turn. And hopefully one day you and I are going to come to the end of our race and we are going to look to our kids or to our grandkids or to our fellow Christians or to our co-workers and we are going to say, I have finished the race and hand off what God has called us to do. But recognize how you run right now is the path that those that follow you will choose to run. So the question for us this morning is will you and I join that great cloud of witnesses or will we fall off into history? See, the Bible calls us to run the race. The last thing he says here, he says if you're going to run the race, the best way to get to the finish line is to keep your eyes focused on the finish line, not the race. He says keep your eyes on Jesus. What's the finish line for the believer? It's heaven. You ever notice when you were running, and I don't know if any of you ever run, but maybe when you were a kid and you were running and you had to do something, when you can see the finish line, it always makes the task easier, right? When you're working through your to-do list and you've got it going and all of a sudden you look down that to-do list and you can see how you're almost finished, it gives you a little spark of energy because you know, listen, I can make it there. And so what he's saying is that wherever you are right now in your run, what helps us, what motivates us is not just everybody whispering in our ear, not just the Word of God guiding us, not just knowing that Jesus is leading us, but to look to the finish line and know that there is a promise for you that is better than anything this world has to offer. I think I've told some of you before that early in my ministry, my first church I was serving, there was a group of men in that church that liked to run. And when I say like to run, they like to run for fun. I didn't believe there was anything running for fun that I had to be a part of. And they would run every day and then they would plan these weekends where they would go and run 5Ks or 10Ks. And really it just became a thing that you would go and run uh, to have a getaway weekend. They used the run as an excuse to take their wives to go to some new city and explore it. And then you got up on Saturday morning, you ran, then you had fun the rest of the weekend. And so they asked me to be a part of it. They peer pressured me into being a part of it. And I hate running. And so I would go out and I would run with them every day. And when I would want to quit, that group of people would stand around me and they'd say, you can do this. And they were 10 and 15 years older than me. So, you know, listen, I, I say I could run for fun. I can. I'm too competitive, okay? Uh, there's nothing in me that any type of thing, I make it all a competition. It's why I had to quit church softball. I quit church softball because I kept getting thrown out because people in the church, we would go out there and play and these guys would be playing and say, oh, it's just fun. And they'd drop a ball and I'd be, it's not just fun. We're here to win, right? So they said, you can't play anymore. And so what would happen when we would run is these guys that were older than me, they were running faster than me. And so it, it pushed me to run. That's that great cloud of witnesses. And so I remember going to my first 10K and, and we were running and it was in Fort Worth, I think. We'd moved from Shreveport to Fort Worth to go to it. You run uphill into Fort Worth and you come back downhill to the stockyards to the race. And so I'm running and there's about 10,000, 15,000 people running in this race. And I'm dying. And what happened is we were running as a pack. This is me. Listen, I, I'm fallible all the time. This is me. I'm running in a pack with a group. And they're like, okay, we got this space. We got this space. Well, three older ladies ran by me. <laughs> and I sat there running with the pack and I kept saying, I can't let them beat me. 
They're probably marathon runners. I didn't know, but they just straight. And I was like, no way. So I sped up ahead of the pack. And I ran and I ran. And, and by the time I got to the finish line, I was dying. I, I looked horrible. I was sweat pouring off of me. And, and everybody's standing there at the finish line yelling. And, I, and I'm just stumbling and came across the finish line. And, and I didn't realize they take your picture at the finish line. And we got those first pictures and everybody in our group, they're like smiling and waving. And I'm like this. And, you know, my eyes are crossed. And honestly, I can show you the picture. In the background are two ladies that are smiling next to me. And I said, this is the end of that. I said, from now on, I don't care what happens in the race. I don't care if I fall down, if I scrape my face, if I'm sweating, if I'm dying. When I see that finish line, I'm strutting. And so every time after that, I would stick my chest out and I would smile and I'd wave, I'd peace at that finish line. That's the way I want to cross the finish line of the race that God's called me to. See, I want to recognize that no matter how many times I fall down, no matter how many times I mess up, no matter how many times that I stumbled along the way, when I get to that place where I hear the voice of Jesus calling me home, I want to run with everything I've got. But you see, here's the thing. The race that you and I are called to run, we never know when the finish line will come. See, the finish line could be today for you, or it could be tomorrow for you. So let me ask you, if it was today, how would you finish? How would you end? That's why this message is so urgent and important. Because I know when it's my turn to hand off the baton, I want to give those who are coming behind me a head start in the race. Because I ran it with everything I've got. You see, no matter where you are this morning, there's still time. Still time to get in the race. Still time to lay off those things and focus on God. In 1992, in the Barcelona Olympics, there was a British runner by the name of Derek Redmond entered into the 400-meter race. Now, Derek Redmond was expected to medal at the 92 Olympics. He missed the 88 Olympics because he was hurt. But in 92, he had posted one of the top two times qualifying for the final. And so everything he got was going into this final race. The 400 meters is one time around the track. And so when the gun went off, Derek Redmond and the other runners all ran together and they were setting a world record pace. They got around the first 100 meters. They turned into the back stretch in the second 100 meters. And as they crossed the second 100 meters, Derek Redmond heard a pop loud. And he reached down and grabbed his hamstring. And he fell to the track. And the moment he fell to the track, the rest of the crowd buzzed by him. And as he laid there on the track, finally getting to his knees, he, he motioned off to the medics that were coming. He got up on his feet and began to hobble around the back stretch. By the time he got up, the race was over. And everyone in the crowd was focused on the finish line. And then all of a sudden they began to notice this lone runner that was hobbling, agony on his face. The cameras went to his face. Agony on his face going towards the finish line. He fell down three times before he made the final stretch, getting up every time. And as he came around that last hundred meters, as he was, the, the crowd was on their feet and they were cheering and they were yelling. Listen, I can't tell you who won the 1992 400 meters, but I can tell you about Derek Redmond. And most in that crowd came because he continued to push 
towards that finish line. And as he came, uh, about 150 meters before he got to the end, there was a man that made his way past security and walked out on the track. It was Derek Redmond's dad, Jim. And he came and he picked up his son and he put his arm around him. And the two of them hobbled and walked to the finish line. And they asked Derek Redmond after the race, why didn't you just quit? You, you pulled your hamstring. You tore it. Agony and pain. Why didn't you just give up on that back stretch? He said, because my country didn't send me here to start the race. They sent me here to finish. You see, church, I want you to know that no matter where you are, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter how many times you stumble, there is a crowd, a cloud of witness cheering. Get up. Get back in the race. Don't give up. And you have a heavenly Father that's willing to come out of the stands today and put His arms around you and say, let's make it to the finish line. That's a race worth running. Let's pray.